0: We are in a series of lessons, real answers to the big questions. And over the past two to three months, we've been counting down the top ten questions that you yourselves submitted. Questions that you've always wanted to ask about God, the Bible, Jesus, Christianity, and so forth. And quickly, here is a review of the questions that we have answered. Number ten why should I believe in God? Number nine, why should I believe in Christianity? Number eight, what is God's will for my life? Number seven, why hasn't God answered my prayer? Number six, are science and scripture compatible? Number five, is the Bible really reliable? Number four, once saved, am I eternally secure? Number three, what will happen when I die? And number two, what will heaven be like that brings us today to the number one question this is the question you ask more than any other question why does God allow suffering and evil your questions in this category were quite varied such as why does God allow children to suffer in slavery and human trafficking why do people have to suffer with terminal disease such as cancer Why does God allow mental illness? Why do we suffer through so many natural disasters, earthquakes, floods, fires, drought, epidemics, famine, and so forth? How come God doesn't do something about the terrorist and terrorism? One person even turned this question around a little bit and asked, why did I survive the war when so many of my friends did not come home? Great questions, I think. And so I brought them all together under this one basic question. Why does God allow suffering and evil? And by the way, I am not at all surprised that this is, in fact, the number one question. I mean, just look at what's happening around us in the world today. Fires. Famine. Terrorism. hurricanes. Upon hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, landslides, terminal disease, riots and protests. I mean, need I say more? And then we come to church this morning and sing about God's faithfulness. Time out. How do we reconcile these? A world that is full of suffering and evil and a God that is full of blessing and good. We can't help but wonder, why doesn't God stop this? Why doesn't God bring His justice? Why isn't God doing something? Why? 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 And of course, these why questions are not at all new. Anytime there's a tragedy, anytime innocent people suffer, anytime it seems that evil prevails from the beginning of time until now, people have asked, why? Just look at the Bible characters who questioned God. How about Job? Oh, that I knew where to find God, that I could go to His throne and talk with Him there. I would tell Him all about my side of this argument and listen to His reply and understand what He wants, but I search in vain. I seek Him here, I seek Him there, and cannot find Him. Why doesn't God open the court and listen to my case? Why must the godly wait for Him in vain? Or how about David? Sometimes I ask God, my rock-solid God, why did You let me down? why am I walking around in tears harassed by my enemies they're out for the kill these tormentors with their obscenities taunting day after day where is this God of yours get up God you going to sleep all day Wake up. Don't you care what happens to us? Why do you bury your face in the pillow? Why pretend things are just fine with us and here we are flat on our faces in the dirt, held down with a boot on our necks? Get up and come to our rescue. If you love us so much, help us. Or a Backup. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Unless <coughs> we forget, even Jesus himself cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The philosopher Epicurus once said, either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or He can but does not want to, or He cannot and does not want to. If He wants to but cannot, He is impotent. If He can and does not want to, He is wicked. But if God both can and wants to abolish evil, then how come there is evil in the world? Atheist Charles Templeton scoffed, a loving God could not possibly be the author of the horrors we have been describing. Horrors that continue every day have continued since time began and will continue as long as life exists. It is an inconceivable tale of suffering and death. And because the tale is fact, it is in truth, the history of the world, it is obvious that there cannot be a loving God. John Stott, famous theologian, wrote... The fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it can be, possibly be reconciled with God's justice and love. Pretty real. So why does God allow suffering and evil? Now, I don't pretend to have all the answers to this perplexing question. And even the answers that I do have to offer I think are incomplete at best. But let's give it our best shot this morning, shall we? Let's see what the Bible has to say about this dilemma of the existence of suffering evil and the existence of a good God. Beginning with a review of evil. Let's see if we can get our arms around a definition here. What exactly do we mean by evil? The dictionary gives this definition, that which is morally bad, wrongdoing, wickedness, that which is injurious or otherwise undesirable, that which causes suffering, misfortune, or disaster. And as you can see there in your notes, there are basically two Greek words used in the New Testament for evil. The word kakos means whatever is evil in character, base, broader in meaning, denotes wickedness, depravity, malignity, or maliciousness. And then the Greek word paneros, which is whatever causes harm, pain, or sorrow. It denotes destructiveness or injury, by the way. That's the term used to describe Satan when he's called the evil one. He's one who brings destruction. Now, to elaborate a little bit further... The Bible describes two different kinds of evil. First of all, there is moral evil. Moral evil, that would be people's own inhumanities to other people based upon hate and greed and overindulgence. And then, of course, there's natural evil. Nature's own injuries to the world, such as natural disasters, accidents, diseases. Now with that just quick, brief review in mind, let's move on to the reasons for evil. How did evil become so prevalent in this world today? I mean, who's to blame for all of this moral depravity we see around us? Who is to blame for even the natural disasters that we experience on this earth? What is the root cause of all of this suffering and wickedness? Why does God allow Injustice, wrongdoing, and destructiveness to even take place. Well, to understand the reasons for evil, I think we need to get our arms around four key words, beginning with the word design. Design. It's important to understand that when God designed the universe and every living thing, including humankind, it was all good, not evil. At the end of the creation account in Genesis 1 verse 31 we read, God saw all that He had made and it was very good. Don't miss that. It was very good. All of creation was very good. Even us, fashioned in God's very own image, we were designed to have a loving relationship with Him. Read 1 John 3 and verse 1 out loud with me. Let's read this together. See how much the Father has loved us. His love is so great that we are called God's children. See, that's God's design right there. That we, His children, should love Him and that He, our Father, should love us. And in the beginning, in a perfect world, that loving relationship was possible. However... Well, God designed us as good, not evil. He also gave us the ability to make a decision. He gave us the freedom of choice. He created us with a free will. Right after He created Adam and Eve, Genesis 2, verses 16 to 17, records that God told them, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely And therefore, the liberty to choose, you see, was established. Adam and Eve had a decision to make. Do they love God and obey Him? Or do they not love God and disobey Him? Because you've got to understand, you see, that true love cannot exist where there's no freedom. You do understand that, right? You have to have the choice to love or not to Love. Otherwise, all we would be, if you take away that free will, all we would be were, would be puppets, talking dolls, you know, pull the string. I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, that's not what God wants. God wants us to choose of our free will to love Him. Toward the end of his life, Moses challenged the Israelites with these words in Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him. And that same freedom of choice, that same free will to make a decision between life and death, blessing and curse, good and evil, loving God and not loving God, is still available to each and every one of us. Today, we have that free will. We have that choice. Now, to complicate matters even worse, enter the deceiver. The deceiver, not long after God had given Adam and Eve this freedom of choice, Satan, the master deceiver himself, entered the picture. A created being himself, in fact, a fallen angel who chose of his own free will to rebel against God, the devil tempted Adam and Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit. In his own twisted, deceitful words in Genesis 3, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the deceiver's still at it today. First Peter five verse eight warns us, be careful. Watch for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry roaring lion, looking for some victim to tear apart. He's after us, and he wants no good. He knows he's going down, and he wants to take you with him. Unfortunately, the devil successful in deceiving each and every one of us, leading then to disobedience. The rest of the story is that Adam and Eve chose evil over good. In their free will, they chose not to love God and they were disobedient, eating the forbidden fruit. And likewise, we too have exercised our liberty and have decided to disobey God. It's called sin. Let's read these verses in Romans chapter 3 out loud together. Would you read them with me? There is no one righteous. All have turned away from God. They have all gone wrong. No one does what is right, not even one. Everyone has sinned and is far away from God's saving presence. That's just the fact. In summary then, here's why evil is so prevalent. In our world today, God designed us as good, not evil. His blueprint was for us to share for eternity a loving relationship with Him. But He also allowed room for us to make a decision. He gave us a free will. To choose to love him or not to love him. And Satan, the master deceiver, has been and still is working overtime to tempt us to sin. And we have in fact chosen disobedience. We have willfully and defiantly rebelled against God. So here's the bottom line. We are to blame for all the moral depravity we see in this world today. We are to blame for all the natural disasters that are happening upon this earth. If you want the answer really to this question, just look in the mirror. Sin, our sin, is at the root of all suffering and evil. And God allows such injustice, wrongdoing, and destructiveness to take place because He must, you see, allow the consequences of our choices to take place. Otherwise, He takes away our free will. That's the reason for evil. We're the reason. You are the reason. I am the reason. All of this suffering and this evil that we see in the world today is because of our sin. Which leads us to the results of evil. More specifically, what are the consequences of our decision not to love God and to disobey Him? What are the results of evil and suffering that we've brought into this world because of our sin? Well, the Bible names at least four of them. The first is disorder. Disorder. Because of sin, all of creation, the entire living universe, has come under a curse of disorder and chaos. Floods, earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, famine, drought, pollution, and on and on the list goes. All of these were not a part of God's original design in creation. It was only after sin that all of this disorder followed. And as human beings, we too have suffered from our decision to sin. Genesis 3 verses 16 through 19 explains, God said to the woman, you will bear children with intense pain and suffering. And to Adam, I have placed a curse on the ground. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you. All your life you will sweat to produce Food. It's a struggle in this life because of our sin. Life is difficult because of our sin. It's messed up. Disorder is the word. The second result of evil is disease. Disease. You name it. Cancer, AIDS, Alzheimer's, birth defects, mental illness... That little owie (laughs) that you got. Cuts and bruises, broken bones, common cold. Every illness and injury from A to Z is the result of the curse that sin has brought upon our lives. That's true for animals, fish, birds, reptiles, plants. Every living thing, by the way, In the beginning, God created our bodies and every other living thing without disease. But the consequences of our rebellious free will has brought to us the curse of infirmity, malady, disease, sickness, pestilence. Isaiah 1 verses 5 and 6 puts it this way. Why do you keep on rebelling? You want to be punished even more? Your head is already covered with wounds. Your heart and mind are sick. From head to foot, there's not a healthy part on your body. you feel like that sometimes? (laughs) Because you see, disease is a part of the curse of sin. The third result of evil is decay. Decay. Science tells us that everything in the universe is growing older, winding down, decaying, the second law of thermodynamics. When God created the heavens and the earth, it was meant to be eternal. Unending, But now under the curse of sin, everything in this universe is in the process of decay. Here's what Romans 8, verses 20 and 21 has to say about it. Against this will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from decay. And that day, that day is coming. We learned that in our last lesson if you can remember a couple of weeks ago. That day of redemption is going to come. But until then, decay continues. And the fourth result of evil is death. Death. Again, death was not God's design. In fact, it did not exist until after the fall, after Adam and Eve's introduction of sin and evil into the world. Paul writes in Romans 5 and verse 12, as sin came into the world through one person and death as a result of sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to stop it or to escape its power because all have sinned. All. All. That means you, me, everybody. Romans 6.23 simply puts it this way, you get what's coming to you when you sin. Death. (coughs) Death. Disorder, disease, decay, and... Death, the consequences of sin, the results of evil. God allows this curse to continue because to not do so would be a removal of our free will. I mean, think of it this way if God did intervene to bring His justice right now, if He brought His judgment and His wrath to bear against our sin, and He gave us what we deserve for bringing all of this disorder, disease, decay, and death into His perfect creation, who among us would stand? You don't want God's judgment. You want God's grace. Which brings us to our response to evil. How are we supposed to respond to the evil in the world around us? What's the proper biblical perspective? What are we to think and do? Well, I believe a Christian response includes at least these six things. And yes, they all start with the letter D. (laughs) First of all, denounce. Denounce. Let's read uh, Ephesians 6 verses 11 through 13 out loud together. Would you read this with me? Don't miss those words, stand. It is time, folks, it is past time for the church to take a stand. We have for too long been silent. We have for too long watched what's going on around us in our world and we have huddled together in our holy huddles to pray. And I'm not saying prayer is a bad thing. It is a good thing. But it is time for us to to pray and then to act. It is time for us to speak out. It is time for us to denounce the evil and the suffering that is going on in the world around us. We must take a stand. We can't be silent any longer. As someone said, all that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And we have done that far too long. It is time for us to denounce evil. Secondly, we must defend. Defend. Is it biblical to defend ourselves or more accurately stated to defend God in truth? Is decisive action against evil or evildoers ever appropriate? Is it right to go to war against terrorists? Is swift judgment, even enforcement of capital punishment, a proper response to wrongdoing and wrongdoers? Well, to answer those questions is a whole nother sermon in and of itself. However, let me just say this. That self-defense and protection of family are not only commended, they are commanded in Scripture. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 8 reminds us that there is a time for war. The Bible gives us justification for defense. Enough said. Defend. Let's move quickly on to disarm. 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 Whatever else you may think about defending ourselves, the Bible is very clear about disarming evil, perhaps in a way that you might find surprising. I mean, look at Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil. Be at peace with everyone just as much as possible. Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for He has said that He will repay those who deserve it. Instead, feed your enemy. If he is hungry, if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. He will feel ashamed of himself for what he has done to you. Don't let evil get the upper hand, but conquer evil by doing good. See, the way to disarm evil and evildoers is not often in the way we think. But it's to pray for them. And to do good to them. To bless them. Whoa. Let me just say this. We must be careful in denouncing and defending that we ourselves do not become evil. Hear me out on this. It's okay to protest an abortion clinic. It is not okay to bomb that clinic. It is okay to march and protest against those who are protesting. But it is not right for us to throw rocks and insults and obscenities at them. We ourselves cannot be evil. We must overcome evil with good. We must overcome hate with love. We must overcome Satan with Jesus. <clears throat> Disarm. The next D word is the word discern. Discern. Before we get too carried away with exacting justice against those who cause suffering and evil, let's be sure we heed uh, Jesus' words in Matthew 7, verses 1-5. through 5. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. <laughs> That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your face is distorted by contempt? Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Whenever we're getting critical of those who we consider to be evil, let's be careful that we're looking to ourselves first. Don't try to take the log, Jesus says, out of your neighbor's eye before you take the speck out of your own. Watch what you say. Be careful what you do. Guard your attitude. Be discerning. And then there's depend. <laughs> Certainly one of the foremost responses to suffering and evil is to utterly depend upon God, to rely on His faithfulness and His love Read Psalm 46, these verses out loud with me. Let's read this together. God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. It's, it's, the word literally means stop striving. Rest in God. Because you see, He is utterly dependable. He is faithful. We have His track record. We sang about it this morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. He will never leave you nor forsake you, you will never be alone. God is faithful. You can depend on Him. And then that brings us to our final key word, which is the word deliver. I save this word for last because this is the good news. You see, God does have a plan for our deliverance. He has had a plan from before time began to deliver His creation from evil and the evil one. He has, in fact, provided a deliverer for us a person. Yeshua. Jesus. By the way, do you know his name means deliverer? Hmm. I had somebody ask me this last week Does God feel our pain? I mean, really, does God understand the injustices that we go through in our lives? And I looked this person in the eye and said, "Um, yeah, he watched his own son die on a cross for you and for me. To be our deliverer. See, the bottom line is deliverance from sin and the consequences of evil only comes through a personal relationship with Jesus as the forgiver and the leader of our lives this deliverance will find of course its ultimate fulfillment in eternity as we read in our last lesson Revelation chapter 21 now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and we read that promise and we cry out then what are you Waiting for God. Why do you delay? And of course the answer is found in Second Peter three and verse nine. He isn't really being slow about his promised return, even though it sometimes seems that way, but he is waiting for the good reason that he's not willing that any should perish. He's giving more time for sinners to repent. See that's God's heart. He wants everyone to be delivered. Denounce, defend, disarm, discern, depend, deliver. I pray that those six key words will help you in your understanding of how we ought to respond to evil. Real answers to the big questions. This morning we've attempted to answer the question, why does God allow suffering and evil? I, again, don't pretend to have all the answers to this perplexing question. And even the answers that I do have, I admit, seem incomplete at best. However, I hope that this lesson has given you A foundation. Some things to think about. And it's helped you to have a better overall understanding from a biblical perspective of what it means. Why this is happening around us.